Good afternoon. The uh, committee will come to order. Uh, thank you for being here, and uh, I appreciate uh, my colleagues being here for this uh, hearing. This hearing of the subcommittee of the State Department and USAID uh, oversight um, is uh, to, entitled Ensuring an Efficient and Effective Dip Diplomatic Security Training Facility for the 21st Century. I'd like to begin by welcoming our witnesses today, Assistant Secretary Greg Starr, Director Connie Patrick, and Mr. Michael Quartz. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time and energy today. And uh, I know you've been laboring over this decision for a long time, and we hope to bring some clarity to that today as we move in the next few months, it sounds like, toward a final adjudication in terms of uh, what's best for our personnel and, uh, and the taxpayers. We're here today to discuss the uh, GAO's report uh, that we've all seen uh, that was requested by Congress to examine two options for the State Department's new consolidated diplomatic security training facility. Before that, I thought I might give a little background, but uh, the tragic events that transpired in Benghazi, Libya on September the 11th, 2012, remind us that we need to prepare our, our Foreign Service officers for the worst and prepare our diplomatic security agents to take on any challenging while protecting sovereign U.S. soil and, and uh, valuable American lives. Our civil servants overseas are operating in an increasingly hostile world. Just this February, state had to evacuate the U.S. Embassy in Sana'a due to increased hostilities there, and there have been others. It's, this is ongoing every month, it seems. Our State Department personnel are indeed in very tough situations around the world, and we owe them the utmost in protection. Indeed, protecting Americans abroad is paramount. Our nation must ensure that Americans sent to serve our nation overseas are safe and have the skills they need to protect themselves from any threat. As chairman of the State Department Management Subcommittee and as a member of the Budget Committee, I'm also responsible for the accountable spending of taxpayer dollars, as we all are. Today, we're here to look at the process for building this new diplomatic security facility. For those of you who aren't familiar with the history, I thought I might just go through just a little bit of background. States, uh, State Bureau uh, of Diplomatic Security, DS, I'll refer to as we go through this, identified the need to consolidate training functions as early as 1993. State leases and contracts today, uh, are, there are 11 facilities to provide uh, comprehensive high threat and hard skills training. And then there are eight other facilities that provide soft skills training which in 2011, in a 2011 GAO report has found to be insufficient, ineffective, and changes needed to happen. So we've been, this has been identified for some period of time. In May of 2008, State came up with a concept of Foreign Affairs Security Training Center, or FASC, as we'll refer to it in the rest of the uh, uh, conversation today. This program was authorized and appropriate in 2009 when Congress set aside $70 million to identify and procure a permanent site for FASC. Over two years, State and GSA studied 70 sites and determined that Fort Pickett was their best option in 2010 in Virginia. In December 2012, State put forth a full master plan for FASI with a price tag of uh, under a billion dollars, 900 uh, plus million dollars. In 2013, OMB directed State to consider as an option augmenting an existing facility like the Federal Law Enforcement Training Center or FLETC in Brunswick, Georgia which currently trains over 90 uh, law enforcement and other federal and local agencies with hard and soft skills training. Um, let me say this before we go any further. Uh, if this hearing doesn't do anything else, it confirms that God has a sense of humor, that the two facilities we're now looking at as the final options, uh, one is in Virginia, and our ranking member, Senator Tim, uh, Tim Kaine, is, uh, represents uh, 
uh, Virginia, and uh, the other facility is in Georgia, and I represent Georgia along with my senior senator, uh, Johnny Isaacson, here. But I want to assure, for the record, everyone here that um, we're all about the same uh, uh, objective, and that is this. We want to make sure that our personnel are adequately trained to meet the challenges and dangers abroad. That's the, that's the objective function. And the second thing that we're here to do as part of oversight of State Department is make sure that we spend taxpayer money appropriately. That's it. Uh, there's nothing parochial going on here, and, uh, and I applaud Senator Kane for the way he's handled this and, and Senator Isaacson uh, in the past as well. Um, let me continue with this. Um, Fletzi's original proposal was uh, around, was a $272 million against that same scope at that point. We'll talk a lot today about scope, but the scope that presented the first bid at, uh, our first estimate at nine, and that's what it was, uh, was a bid at $900 million. Uh, Fletzi's proposal came in with a similar scope, uh, of, or a given scope of 272. State later reduced the scope of that plan, removing soft skills, cafeterias, housing, medical, and recreation facilities. In the end, we're looking at a reduced scope proposal with an initial capital cost of $413 million at FAST-C versus $243 for augmenting FUTC. And later, we'll get into these numbers a little more. I'm just trying to hit the high points here. Per the request of Congress, GAO has reevaluated these proposals. Unfortunately, we still don't have a true apples-to-apples -apples comparison as we sit here today, and we'll talk about that more as well. What we want to get at today is the process by which these decisions have been made. The state went ahead on a major construction pro project um, and we've invested, I think, $71 million now at the, at the Fort Pickett, Virginia uh, location. Um, this full assessment, while it may end up being the, the right um, uh, choice, I would argue that we don't have a true apples-to-apples -apples comparison yet today against the original scope or against the revised scopes that have been uh, put forward. Uh, so part of our hope today is to make sure that we all agree or that State Department will present what that scope needs to be so that as we look at this outside group that's doing the new study between now and December, uh, we won't have to revisit this after that, so that we all agree on what that scope and mi mission is. Um, there's a delay, actually. I think that project's been put on hold, as I understand it, and until, we, until we get this apples-to-apples -apples comparison. And I applaud the State Department for, for taking one last look at this to make sure that we spend the money that's absolutely necessary. Um, and I just want to make sure, again, that we re-emphasize that this is not a parochial conversation. This is about taxpayer money and the mission that we have of training people. The review today, though, is part of a bigger process. I want to take just a second on this, um, about how we spend money in State Department. And, and it's not just in training. Uh, looking at embassy construction is just one that we will eventually get to. There are several recent examples that do raise concerns. Um, just this summer, our committee received a notification from the state that the new embassy compound in Islamabad, Pakistan, originally estimated at $850 million, um, is now going to be, uh, the, the estimate of overrun is about $87 uh, million. The $1 billion embassy in London is now $100 million over budget, and it's not done yet. And in Papua New Guinea, uh, a $50 million estimate originally now has turned into a $211 million embassy in Papua. So that raises questions. As a business guy looking at this, I know Tim, has, with his background, Senator Kane rather, has looked at these things as well. Overruns happen when scopes change. We all understand that. But when you see a, a continuous pattern, it, it does heighten the, the need for oversight, in my opinion. Um, so with that, let me turn to our ranking member, Senator uh, Tim Kane, and thank him for his work on this over the, the, the past few months since I've been here, uh, indeed uh, years past. Thank you.
Thank you, and thanks, Mr. Chair, for your, for your kind opening comments and to our witnesses and our, my other colleagues for being here today. Uh, one of the things I appreciate being ranking member of the subcommittee is the chair led off with it's about the personnel, and that's been his attitude, and it's certainly mine when we travel and we interact with personnel in the State Department who are doing tough missions abroad, often in places where they can't bring their family, places that are dangerous. We always remember to thank them, and that, that is something that, that bonds all of us on, on this. And this is about an important matter, about the safety of our embassy personnel in a world that sadly is a lot more dangerous than it used to be and that we would hope that it would be. A few comments on the history, um, because uh, I, I'm troubled by uh, by this as well, but I guess the thing that troubles me most is, is the delay. And so that's kind of what I want to get into. This was a project that was identified by the state some years ago, the need, as, as the chair indicated, the need to have a facility that better trained State Department personnel to meet the security needs of a more dangerous world. Uh, by late 2010, December of 2010, after this very significant site uh, selection process, and this is now two, more than two years before I came to the Senate, the State Department and GSA together had identified Fort Pickett as the appropriate site for this particular mission. Uh, plans were then made, EIS, et cetera, to move that forward, and then the horrible tragedy of Benghazi occurred in September of 2012, sort of underlining and putting an exclamation point after the need for better security training. Um, so the initial study was done by the state and the GSA. In the aftermath of the attack on Benghazi, the Accountability Review Board that uh, reviewed what happened and, more importantly, made recommendations for how to avoid it ever happening again, focused on the need for better embassy security training. And there were two subcommittees that were appointed to implement the, um, the recommendations of the ARB. ARB Recommendation 17 dealt with embassy security training. And both of those subcommittees, as they analyzed what needed to be done, came back to the need not only for a new facility, but for the facility at Fort Pickett because of its proximity to State Department personnel in Washington and the proximity to the Marine, Secu the Marine Security Guard training program that provides all that great Marine security at post one at every embassy all around the world. The, the Fort Pickett had a number of virtues, but the proximity to state and the proximity to the Marine Security Guard was one of its principal virtues. So, so at that point, when the Accountability Review Board had come up with its recommendations, we now have state and the GSA and the Accountability Review Board all pointing the same direction. As the chair mentioned, the decision was made, uh, I think, following some congressional inquiry, especially from the House side, to review and reanalyze the choice of Fort Pickett vis-a-vis -vis the Fletzi facility in Georgia. The OMB conducted that analysis from about February of 2013 through April of 2014, an additional year of kind of waiting. But they did the analysis, and when they finished, they decided to defer to the initial choice that state and the GSA had made. Um, at that point, in the aftermath of this Benghazi attack and the recommendation that the security training needs of our personnel were paramount, it was my hope that it would then move forward. But as part of the appropriations process last year, the House inserted language that was accepted as part of appropriations language to require a study by, by now a fifth agency. I'm calling state GSA OMB3, the Accountability Review Board, but now the fifth agency, the GAO. The GAO has done a study. It came out on the 9th of September, and that's the occasion for this hearing today to dig into the GAO's recommendations. And um, you know, I know we'll have questions and in digging into process, both for this project in particular, but also more generally, as you point out, what's the right way that we should be doing projects. But I'm, I'm just mindful here of time passing. I mean, it, it has been um, five years, nearly five years, since the state 
GSA process chose Fort Pickett as the site after a multi-year search to get to that decision. It has been three years now since the attack on Benghazi, multiple years after money was put in to the budget to do this training facility. And um, I just feel a sense of urgency about the need for this training, as I, as I know you do. Um, I, you know, you go to these uh, embassies overseas and, you know, like you go to the one in, in uh, Beirut and you walk by the, the memorial marker to all those embassy personnel who were killed in the Beirut bombings. I think Americans remember that Marines were killed, but they may not remember so much how many State Department lives were lost there. And we see the evacuation, whether it's in Libya or Yemen. These are tough times for the people doing these jobs. And I think we need to move with dispatch to make sure that the security training that we provide is as, is as, is as strong as it can be. Cost is important, clearly. But the security training being done and being done right is critically important. And so that's what I hope we'll, we'll get at and, and move toward uh, as we have this hearing today. Well, thank you, Ranking Member. Um, <clears throat> now we're going to reach to our uh, witnesses today. The first up is uh, Assistant Secretary Greg Starr, who serves as Assistant Secretary of State for Diplomatic Security. In this capacity, he is in charge of the security and law enforcement arm of the State Department. He previously served as Director of the Diplomatic Security Service. His overseas assignments have included Senior Regional Security Officer at the U.S. Embassy in Tel Aviv, as well as Senior Regional Security Officer position in Tunis, Tunisia, Dakar, Senegal, and was assigned to the Regional Security Office in Kinshasa, Zaire, presently the Democratic Republic of, the Con of Congo. Uh, I might add also that uh, he shared with me, and uh, as we were being introduced this, just a minute ago, that he's actually personally been evacuated twice in his career. Mm -hmm. um, Mr. Secretary, our Assistant Secretary, thank you for being here. Chairman Drew, thank you very much. Ranking Member Kane, distinguished members, Senator Cardin, Senator Isaacson, good afternoon. And I want to thank you for the opportunity to discuss our plans for a Foreign Affairs Training Center at Fort Pickett, Virginia. As has been said, improved training was a key finding of the Benghazi Accountability Review Board in the aftermath of the attack in uh, 2012. The Diplomatic Security Organization and Management Review Panel, which was commissioned after the ARB, and then a Best Practices Panel, both staffed with serious, high-minded individuals whose judgment I, I, I find impeccable and their credentials impeccable, both came to the conclusion, both panels um, recommended that the department establish a consolidated training facility in close proximity to Washington, D.C. Since that time, attacks on State Department facilities and personnel in Herat, Afghanistan, Erbil, Iraq, Ankara, Turkey, plus the need for evacuations from Libya and Yemen only highlight the danger that our employees face while fulfilling our diplomatic responsibilities abroad. We have learned from these events, just as we've learned from Benghazi, and we continue to modify the training as we learn new hard lessons almost every day. The department has initiated efforts to combine numerous hard skills training venues into one consolidated site, and we tried to do this even prior to the Benghazi-related recommendations. In 2009-2010, the Department and General Services Administration reviewed over 70 properties before selecting Fort Pickett and Blackstone, Virginia. In 2013, we reduced the scope of the project to focus solely on the consolidation of hard skills training, 
cutting the project's cost from an initial estimate of over $900 million to $413 million, an estimate that has been verified by GSA and their two independent accounting firms. In searching for a consolidated training center in proximity to Washington, this has, been a this has been a priority for us for two primary reasons. First, Washington is the hub for the Department of State and other federal agency personnel preparing to go overseas. Having a closer training facility will cut travel costs, provide more training opportunities, not just for our officers, but particularly for our family members, and improve logistics. Second, staying in the Mid-Atlantic region allows us to continue to train with critical security partners, particularly the United States Marine Corps elements that we work with every single day. This collaboration is essential as we have seen in Libya, Yemen, and Burundi. According to the recently released government accountability study, Marine units stationed in Quantico, Virginia, have already determined that their budget will not support travel to facilities located outside of the Washington region. Consolidation is critical because it increases the effectiveness of the training by allowing students to seamlessly transfer from one real-world scenario to another. Threats often emerge quickly, and a consolidated training center will provide the flexibility necessary to immediately train for emerging threats and major events. Our specialized training for high threat environments includes heavy weapons, explosives demonstrations, armored vehicle driving, helicopter landings, extensive night training, evacuation training. Finding a single site that accommodate all of these elements without disrupting the surrounding area has been challenging. A low population density region is critical to ensuring the current and foreseeable real-world training requirements that we, can, that we need and can be met 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The Federal Law Enforcement Training Center has a strong core competency in training federal law enforcement agency, and this is why we send our own agents there for basic investigative training. But with FAST-C, we are not training for law enforcement duties. We are preparing diplomatic security agents for service at critical threat overseas, which requires an extremely specific skill set, working with our DOD partners rather than our domestic law enforcement partners. In April 2013, we asked, the department asked to suspend project efforts at Fort Pickett and reevaluate the feasibility of locating FAST-C in Glencoe. Over the next year, we worked collaboratively, collaboratively with Fletzi through multiple site visits and exchanges of information. After the review, we decided to locate FAST-C at Fort Pickett as reflected by the administration's request for $99 million of FAST-C funding in 2016. That said, we recognize the concerns of Congress and have arranged for an independent cost-benefit analysis comparing FAST-C, FLETC, and our interim training center at Summit Point. The CBA is being conducted by Deloitte under contract to GSA. While we look forward to receiving that cost-benefit analysis, the department remains confident, confident that Fort Pickett is the best option for an effective and cost-efficient training facility. We appreciate the time and effort on the part of Director Quartz and his team at GAO in examining this issue. Thank you for the opportunity. I'm out of time at this point, and I look forward to answering any questions you have. Thank you. Our next witness is Director Connie Patrick 
Uh, Connie Patrick was selected as the fifth director of the Federal Law Enforcement Training Center, FLETC, in July of 2002. Previously, Ms. Patrick spent over six years in various FLETC associate director positions. She provides oversight for the training of the majority of federal officers and agents in that location. Prior to her appointment at FLETC, Ms. Patrick completed a distinguished 20-year sworn law enforcement career in Florida, starting in 1976 as a deputy sheriff with the Brevard County Sheriff's Office. She served in uniform patrol, vice in narcotics, homicide, and intelligence. Uh, welcome, Ms. Patrick, and uh, we look forward to your comments. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, Ranking Member Kane, and members of the committee. It is an honor to be here with you today. I would like to thank Congress for its longstanding support of FLETC's mission to train those who protect the homeland. I have been privileged to serve as the director since 2002 and after holding several senior positions with FLETC and after completing a career in Florida. 45 years ago, Congress established FLETC under the premise that consolidated federal law enforcement training provides consistency and efficiency in preparing law enforcement officers and agents, while enabling agencies to conduct specialized training that meets their operational needs. Today, FLETC delivers training to 96 federal partner organizations, thousands of state, local, tribal, and international officers and agents at four domestic training sites throughout the United States, at international law enforcement academies, and at export locations both internationally and in the states. FLETC also engages in ongoing training review, development, and research in coordination with stakeholders, has a long history of working with our partners to adapt training programs and facilities to meet emerging needs. The Department of State was an original signatory to the FLETC Memorandum of Understanding in 1970 and remains a valued partner. Department of State's Bureau of Diplomatic Security Service, DS, criminal investigators attend the basic training program at FLETC Glencoe, and the agents attend various advanced training programs there as well. Department of State granted FLETC certification to conduct the Foreign Affairs Counter Threat Training Program this year in March. FLETC fully supports Department of State's need to consolidate its training in furtherance of best preparing its personnel to serve its critical overseas function. In early 2013, the Office of Management and Budget requested that FLETC work with the Department of State and General Services Administration to assess the viability of using capacity at FLETC, Glencoe, and to determine the cost of any additional uh, construction to meet their needs. FLETC accordingly developed a rough order of magnitude cost estimate of $200 million which FLETC later refined to $272 million in November 2013 at OMB's request. This estimate and associated business case are based on the Department of State's original full master plan and guarantees Department of State's primacy of use of facilities constructed specifically for their needs. In April of 2014, FLETC received notification from OMB that the decision had been made to allow Department of State to establish the Foreign Affairs Security Training Center at Fort Pickett. Since that time, FLETC has taken no further action on this issue except to respond to congressional inquiries on its 2013 cost estimate. FLETC remains committed to Department of State's goal to consolidate its training 
and looks forward to a continued partnership with the Department of State. And I'm pleased to answer any questions the committee may have. Thank you. Our next witness, uh, Michael J. Quartz, is a Government Account Accountability Office uh, Director in the Agency's International Affairs and Trade Team. Since 2003, he's directed GAO re reviews of a wide range of U.S. government operations and programs in the international arena to assist Congress in carrying out its oversight responsibilities. Thank you for joining us today, Mr. Court. We look forward to your comments. Good afternoon, Mr. Chairman, Ranking Member Kane, and members of the subcommittee. I'm pleased to be here this afternoon to discuss the State Department's efforts to locate a consolidated facility for diplomatic security training. More specifically, two different proposed sites for such a facility. One known as the Foreign Affairs Security Training Center, or FASC, at Fort Pickett in Blackstone, Virginia, and the other at the Federal Law Enforcement Training Centers, or FLETC, in Glencoe, Georgia. This testimony is based on a GAO report dealing with this subject that we issued last month. GAO was asked to testify this afternoon on key site requirements critical to providing diplomatic security training and the extent to which the two different proposed sites meet these requirements and the estimated capital and recurring costs of these proposals and the extent to which the capital cost estimates conform to leading practices. In summary, we analyzed four states' requirements that we determined were critical in the selection of a site for the facility and found that the FAST Sea site in Blackstone fully met the requirements and the FLET Sea site in Glencoe did not. We also found that neither the FAST Sea nor the FLET Sea estimate for capital costs fully meets best practices for reliable cost estimates. My first point is that as a purpose-built facility, the FAST Sea site would fully meet state's four critical site requirements consolidation, proximity to Washington, D.C., exclusive use, and 24-7 availability. The Fort Pickett site would enable state to consolidate at one location most of the widely scattered hard skills training venues it's currently using. FLETC can accommodate many of these venues on its campus, but would have to conduct some exercises such as training in long-range weapons, heavy explosives, and some nighttime exercises at the Townsend bombing range about 30 miles away. The FAST-C site at Fort Pickett is about 160 miles from Washington, or nearly three hours by car, and located near the Marine Corps units in Virginia that are the Diplomatic Security Bureau's primary training partners. FLETC is approximately 640 miles from Washington, or about five to six hours by air. The FAST-C site would allow state to control its training venues and have the flexibility to implement scheduling changes to respond to rapidly evolving security situations overseas. FLETC can offer state priority scheduling, but not exclusive use. Fort Pickett, which covers about 42,000 acres in a rural area, is available for nighttime training. FLETC, which is adjacent to the town of Brunswick, Georgia, doesn't conduct certain types of training at night, and FLETC officials told us that exercises there currently end by 10 p.m. My final point is that neither the FAST-C nor the FLETC estimate for capital costs fully meets best practices for reliable cost estimates. The FAST-C estimate fully or substantially meets three of the four characteristics and partially meets one. The FLETC estimate partially or minimally meets all four characteristics. I should note that FLETC had limited time and information to prepare its estimate. State and GSA estimated that acquisition and construction costs for the current plan for FAST-C would be $413 million. State and GSA have obligated 71 million of these costs to date. FLETC's estimate was $243 million, but FLETC didn't have complete information on state's requirements when it developed this estimate. 
Projected recurring costs for things like operations and maintenance are greater for FAST-C than FLETC based on current cost estimates. For example, the costs could be $266 million greater over 25 years and $372 million greater over 50 years. However, because these costs are based on capital cost estimates that were unreliable, these projections may also be unreliable. We projected the costs of sending students to training for both proposals, including travel, lodging, meals, and incidental expenses, and compensation spent for time spent traveling. And we found that under multiple scenarios, the costs of sending students to FAST-C were less than sending them to FLETC. For example, the costs could be from $122 million to $323 million less over 25 years, and from $309 million to $736 million less over 50 years. Mr. Chairman and Ranking Member Kane, this concludes my prepared remarks. I'd be happy to address any questions that you may have. Thank you all, and I, uh, I should uh, also thank you for your uh, career of service. Uh, you are in extremely important roles of responsibility uh, in this critical area. Before we get started with questions, I'd like to ask unanimous consent that we add to the record a written statement from Congressman Buddy Carter from Georgia. Congressman Carter's district is home to Pletsy and has been following this uh, issue very closely. So with that, I'll, I'll enter this into the record. Uh, I'll go ahead and, and start uh, my uh, questions. and. Uh, I would appreciate if you guys could be as brief as possible. This is a very confusing um, uh, issue, and a lot of uh, questions will come up. But uh, try to uh, be as brief as you can in the answer, and we're going to mind the uh, time as well. Um, I want to start, uh, Mr. Quartz, with you and, and try to look at a couple of things. From a business perspective, in our, any RFP has to have a scope, and that scope has to be agreed upon by the users and by the oversight people or whatever. Uh, in this case, that scope has been changed several times over the, over the life of this exercise. And I, I could not agree more with the ranking member about the sense of urgency and then let's get an answer. Uh, it's been some five years since we got serious about evaluating this. N most of the, what I'm talking about happened uh, on somebody else's watch, so I'm not directing this at, at any of the witnesses. But I want to try to summarize where we are from your report, the GAO report, um, if, as best I can, and ask a couple questions because I think we still today don't have um, estimates from, for, the both, for both sites against what we now understand to be the real scope, if, I, if, if that's fair. If that's not fair, Mr. Quartz, I hope you'll correct me. But as I understand it, the there are three things that are involved. One is original cost of capital, or original capital costs. Then you have student costs, which is a recurring cost, and that's an annual cost. And you have operating costs, which is an, an annual cost again. And the life of the project is somewhere between 25 and 50 years. Pick a number and then make a decision. I'm not going to weigh in on that. But uh, your report gives us uh, low, medium, and high estimates for both. Uh, and then over 10, 25, and 50 years, is, if I remember correctly. And so what, what I want to do is just highlight what's missing from what we now know, at least from a cost standpoint. Then we can get on to the subjective things. For example, I think we have some constraints that are coming out now for example, co-training with Marines uh, and things like that, that if they had been in the original scope, the question is, of these 70 facilities that were evaluated, which ones wouldn't, would or would not have been candidates for this uh, requirement? Fletsy being one of those, if, if that co-training is uh, indeed a requirement. The numbers as I see them finally is that uh, the current uh, FASC estimate of, of first capital, and this is hard, hard skills training only. This is a scope change from the original that, that had hard and soft skills training. And there's a third dimension of this that I want to point out, and that is 
um, and I don't know the right vernacular, but it's, it's weapons training, it's blast training, it's assault training uh, in a mock-up embassy situation. 24, you gotta have access to it 24-7. In the Fletzy option, that's, uh, I, as I understand it, to be done at Townsend, requires original capital, and there's an ongoing operating cost with that as well, if, if that's right. So there are three things, hard skills, soft skills, and this, uh, this, uh, our, this weapons training and assault training. Um, the ongoing cost, I'm just gonna pick a couple of midpoints here. You mentioned the, the low and the high, and, and this is in the report, so I'm not trying to quibble with the numbers, but I'm just pointing out that if you looked at it over 50 years, uh, you've got the student training cost, one facility is about $400 million uh, higher than the other one, and then if you go to operating costs, the other one is $400 million higher than the other one. So it's, over 50 years, it's kind of a wash. As on your report, Fletzy has a, a, an advantage on the operating cost um, over that period of time if you look at it over 25 years and so forth. But here's my, my question. What's missing at Fletzy is the cost of the Townsend capital costs and any ongoing transportation cost or training cost relative to that additional uh, increment that's not in their estimate today. I think that's correct. And at FASI, what's missing could be the, the couple of years of housing and uh, cafeteria needs for until the commercial uh, industry provides that. And then the ongoing cost differential between doing that on campus versus off campus. As far as I can see, if those things had been met against uh, the, the scope, then we'd be able to get to an answer. And I think that's what uh, uh, Mr. Starr has said that uh, that study by Deloitte is going to provide. But before we get into that, the question is this, has the scope at this point, as we sit here today, as Deloitte starts their analysis, has everybody at state agreed on what the scope is and what will be included? Uh, and let me give you a specific example. Marine training, co-training right now, seems to be a very important um, issue in this exercise. Uh, and yet we learned that uh, there is co-training going on right now in LA, I think that was last week or something, where Marines and State Department personnel are doing an assault training exercise out there, which I commend. So the question is, is that, uh, has the scope and all the requirements been defined at this point? Senator, the, uh, the proposal that we looked at for FASI was the $413 million proposal, and our understanding is uh, that that particular proposal does include the full, scape, the full scope of what state is planning. Um, including training with the Marines in Chesapeake and in Quantico. But not soft skills, correct? It does not include the soft skills training. That was part so of the, the original. Two, yeah, the 272 and the 413 are, are hard skills. Um, at at Fletzy is hard skills only. And at uh, FASI, it's hard skills is what you're describing right now. That's correct. But without soft skills. That's correct. Okay. Um, the other issue is um, as we look at this scope, um, right now and go forward is how do we how do we determine the best way to do that and, and what I'm, I'm trying to get at this is if that's a requirement and Flet and Fletzi can't provide that marine training uh, and I'll direct this at Mr. Quartz and, and Ms. Patrick um, then Fletzi doesn't meet the marine co-training requirement if I understand how you're describing that is that correct or not am I oversimplifying that well, we spoke with the Marine Corps units that uh, state trains with us as primary training partners, and they told us that they would not uh, be able to travel uh, to Fletzy, both as a matter of cost and as a matter of practicality, uh, because they are not only transferring their personnel, but also their gear and equipment. How do they do that in LA? 
I'm not familiar with the LA exercise. I'd have to defer Mr. Starr uh, on that. Do you know anything about that exercise, Mr. Starr? Our uh, participation in that exercise, I believe, is leadership. Uh, it's a role-playing base. We have uh, officers playing embassy officers. It's not hard skills type of training where we're involved in. Thank you. There's one other, I'm, I'm out of time. I'll come back to this later. I'll yield the balance of my time uh, and uh, we'll go to the uh, ranking member. Thank you, Mr. Chair, and thanks to the witnesses for your testimony and especially the GAO for your work on the report. As I read the report, and just to kind of summarize, the, the analysis really looks at these two uh, facilities across two dimensions, operations and cost. So let's, and cost has an operating and a capital component, but let's just look at operations for a minute. You look at four operational criteria and you conclude that the FAST-C site meets all four and the FLETC site does not fully meet any of, the, any of the four. Is that correct? That's correct. One of the criteria that you look at deals with the consolidation and the ability to use partners. The Marines, obviously there's Marine presence in many places, but the Marine Security Guard program is headquartered at Quantico and so the proximity between that program and FAST-C is important. Your report indicates that uh, you reached out to the Marines and they indicated that it would not be either sort of uh, practically effective or cost effective for them to send personnel at such distance. I reached out to the Marines to, to get a letter to that effect and I have a letter that the Marines, uh, uh, Jan Durham, who's the Assistant Deputy Commander uh, with, the, uh, uh, with the Marines over this uh, submitted and I'd like to submit that for the record, Mr. Chair. A second operational component that I wonder about uh, is the exclusive use component. You talk about the need uh, at FASI, the state would have use day, night, whenever they wanted it. At FLETC, they would have priority use, but not exclusive use. My understanding is that the State Department does classified, uh, some classified activity in connection with this training as well, and that that would be more conducive in the exclusive use scenario rather than in the FLETC scenario. Is that correct? Uh, my understanding is that there are some courses that involve classified information uh, with respect to certain threats and certain countermeasures uh, to deal with those threats. Uh, I'm not uh, familiar with whether or not uh, the FLETC uh, facility could accommodate that versus the FASI facility. I do believe that that capability is included in the plans for FASI. I'm not, I'm not certain whether it is for FLETC. Ms. Patrick, do you know, does the FLETC have the uh, classified capacity? Reflecting back to the two thir two 2013 analysis, uh, we based our strictly on the building and the master plan capacity. So the requirement for the, um, the uh, secure facilities um, was not one that I was aware of. So I would have to reflect back on what was actually in the building and if there was a need for that. So I'm not aware of what the need was. But, but if there is in fact a need for classified activity as Fletzi currently uh, constituted to handle that. Uh, we have some classified capabilities, but I just don't know the nature of what's required. All right. Um, with re thank you. With respect to the second uh, aspect of the analysis, which is the cost side, um, and again, maybe breaking it into two, on the operational costs, you conclude that FASI is more operationally cost effective, largely because of the proximity questions than FLETSI would be, correct? That's correct. And then with respect to the capital cost, and this is one that the chair was really digging into, there is a uh, cost differential uh, in terms of the FLETC proposal and the, the number for FASC. Um, I think you conclude that the, uh, the FASC proposal uh, fully or substantially meets sort of three of the four 
cost criteria uh, that you're interested in and only partially meets one of the four. But the Fletzi cost proposal sort of only minimally meets the four cost criteria on the capital side. Is that correct? That's correct. And I think you point out that that's not Fletzi's fault, that Fletzi didn't have necessarily all the information that would be within the State Department concerning the needs, the capital needs of their own uh, of their own operations. Is that correct? That's correct. And they only had 60 days to come up with their estimate. And, and, and finally, uh, Director Patrick, let me just ask you this. You, I, you, your testimony was very crisp and to the point. I know you submitted your written testimony for the record, and so it was a, a summary. But I just want to read two aspects of your testimony just to ask if you uh, stand by this position. First, uh, on page three of your testimony, Fletzi fully supports the administration's decision to consolidate DOS's hard skills training at Fort Pickett, Blackstone, Virginia, in furtherance of best preparing its personnel to serve its critical overseas function, which has been explained in the testimony from my colleague from the Department of State, and that is your position today. And then on the last page of your testimony, again, somewhat repetitively, Fletzi supports the administration's decision to consolidate state's training at Fort Pickett and stands ready to assist however possible and looks forward to a strong continued partnership with DOS. And that is also your testimony today. All right, thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Senator from Georgia. Well, Senator Kane, that's exactly why I support Connie Patrick. She shoots straight. <laughs> and she's, we were so proud of her in Georgia and what she's done for so many years at Fletzi, and I appreciate her being here today and appreciate you acknowledging her loyalty to the, to the country and to the training of our security agents. Mr. Starr, or Secretary Starr, thank you for taking my calls. You and I have had numerous calls on issues regarding training in Georgia, and I appreciate very much you doing so. I want to follow up on what Senator Perdue talked about because this to me means everything. I, I have just finished as chairman of the Veterans Affairs Committee, finally solving the VA hospital problem in Aurora, Colorado. That's a hospital that started out 13 years ago as an estimate of $348 million. We finally came to an agree agreement last week and it's going to be $1,635,000,000. Million. And the problem is, and I was interviewed by the Denver Press and they said, why do you think this thing got so out of hand? I said, it, it looks like a horse built by a committee, which is a camel. Anytime you have too many people changing the definition along the way, your costs can overrun. So the scope definition that Senator Purdue asked is really totally important because you can craft a scope uh, to have the best foot forward for what you really want to do, yet leaving out things for the future. Are you confident that the scope definitions that we're going to make our final decision upon will be fair comparisons both ways and not just written to, to determine whether the site should go? Senator, thank you for the question. I think it, it really gets to the heart of what we're talking about. We are already training uh, both families and foreign service officers for the Foreign Affairs Counter Threat Course, and we are training diplomatic security agents, and we are doing anti-terrorism assistance training for foreign governments, and we're training units uh, from foreign governments that protect our embassies. The department made a decision to expand in one particular area the fact training tremendously so that every foreign service officer is going to get that every five years now. We're going to try to move as many families as we can through that as well. After Benghazi, we made a decision that we needed to vastly increase the hard skills training, uh, the high intensity training for our agents as well. And when we put all of this together, um, we have the curriculums, we have the courses, we have the hours, we know how many people we want to put through by year up through 2019. 
And we specifically designed um, our requirements around all of the people that we need to train and how we need to train them. Then, with a very good partner, GSA, we, we went forward and tried to plan this for the hard skills training. GSA then went out and got two independent estimates from independent contractors on what it would really cost to build this. Because I am like you, the last thing I want to be in front of you is saying that this is going to cost $413 million and come back to you with an $800 million price tag on it. I think when you plan a project, you, you get the hard numbers that you need to do. You do the absolute best that you can and then you don't even rely just on the people that are saying, this is what we need. Then you go to a good partner like GSA that has a record of building, and then you get independent cost estimates. So when I come to you and say, this is $413 million, and GAO looks at it and says, you know, three out of the four factors, they're right hard on, and there's a, there's a fourth factor they could have done a little better, and GSA is going back and, and rectifying that fourth factor for, G, uh, for GAO, we know it's going to come in at that cost. I, like you, do not like taking taxpayers' money and saying it's going to cost one thing and then, and then you know, having a much higher bill at the end of it. I am confident we can bring this in at that cost. That's my promise to you. Well, that's the answer I was hoping to hear because I've seen far too much evidence in Washington of time to time where we have an unrealistic scope and we get an authorization to go forward and then we get a surprise at the end where they say, oh, by the way, we forgot. In this type of situation, I don't think there'd ever be an excuse for forgetting, but I want to make sure that scope is as critical as possible. Mr. Kortz, thank you for the work you do at GAO. You've got a statement in, on page 12 that a, uh, the security guard training, a person responsible for security guard training at the Marine Corps confirmed that the cost of FLETSI would be prohibited. I think that's the statement. That's correct. That's did what they told us. They make that anal analysis solely, or did, did you make an analysis independent of what they said? We we did not make an, an independent analysis on that. So in other words, you took that at face value. Was we we reported what they told us. Okay. Connie, thank you, or Director Patrick, thank you very much for what you do for our great state of Georgia and what you do for the training of our enforcement officers. This is an important decision for us to make, and I hope as we make the decision. We'll be unified in our support, and the result will be a facility that all of us can be proud of. But we're very proud of the training you do for the security agents of the United States of America around the world. Thank you. Senator Murphy. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Chairman. Um, I'm a novice on this, uh, this issue, um, but uh, it seems pretty simple to me that it doesn't get much more important than protecting our State Department personnel overseas. Uh, it's hard enough to get people to do these jobs. It becomes even harder uh, if they think that we're messing around with their security and State Department, GAO, GSA, everyone wants to build this facility and they know where to build it, yet you're not able to build it. Um, as you say, Secretary Starr, because of concerns you've heard from Congress. Um, so, I, you know, I without getting involved in the details of the Virginia site and the Georgia site, which the members from Virginia and Georgia know much better, just you know, maybe share with me what the implications for continued postponement is. Um, what's the implications for the ability to have the, the best trained, most capable security officers out in the field? I know you're gonna do as good a job as you can with your current resources, but um, so long as we're not allowing you to make the decision on siting that you have told us loud and clear that you want to make. What, what, is, what does that mean for our men and women on the ground? 
thank you for the question, Senator. In its uh, simplest terms, um, we're ramping up from about 3,500 people a year for fact training, the, the employees of the Department of State. We want to get to over 6,000 per year. And then we want to make sure that we can get as many families in on the space available basis as possible. I can't do that at the current facility. With a purpose-built facility uh, by 2018, 2019, as we ramp this up, we meet the time schedule for full uh, implementation of fact training for everybody in the department and families at the same time as the facility is built. At the interim facility, I can't do that at the moment. Further, we're using 11 different sites now. We're moving students and instructors around continuously. We think that in one site, we can save over $11 million a year in training costs and almost double the amount of students that we train with that same budget. I can't do that at the current site. I promise you, we will strive to do absolutely the best training we can for our people. Nothing, that's my job, making sure that my, our people have got the best training. I will do the best that I can with the facilities that I'm given. But honestly, we have thought about this long and hard. The, the ability to co-locate all of our training so we're not sending students and instructors to 11 different sites and doing things, so that we get them there quickly and efficiently, that we keep them on and have training that, that starts in one place and goes directly to another without having to change location. My mobile security teams that are constantly out at high threat embassies and coming back so I can get them quickly requalified on heavy weapons and get them back into the field. This is what Fort Pickett gives me. The ability to train with the Marine Security Augmentation Units, that's another thousand Marines that were given to the, the, uh, the Marine Corps gave us essentially for embassy security on top of the Marine Security Guard program that is 1,700 Marines at this point. We've got another thousand that we use and we've already deployed over 50 times in the last five years for higher threat situations. So training with them, you know, literally 50 miles away continually as, because they don't stay for long. Those, those units rotate through all the time. We have to have a constant training schedule with them. That's what Fort Pickett gives us. So when you say that you can't meet your anticipated volume 6,000 with current facilities, what, what, what does that mean? When do we get to a breaking point here in which we're really jeopardizing your plan for the safety of our men and women overseas? I, I would prefer to have stuck shovels in the ground right now, and that was the, the plan so that by 2018, when we ramped fully up to everybody, we were set. Um, with our temporary pause, we hope to be less than three or four months behind on this and hope to, and hope to still meet that schedule. And just lastly, uh, as I was reading through GAO's report, and I'll just ask you, uh, Secretary Starr, this issue over having f full use or partial use of the facility, just help me explain why that's important. Fletzy is a great training partner, sir. Um, but our needs for our students, you know, Connie can, Connie can promise us, you know, a, a lot of priority on things. But that also means when we take priority, somebody else gets bumped as well. And there's federal law enforcement training that has to go on as well. So we believe that having a dedicated facility that's you know, based on our needs for nine to 10,000 people a year 
Connie's already training 22,000 federal law enforcement officers a year and other courses down there. The, the dedicated capability to do it in one place without having to bump others is important. The ability to have it close to where we are helps us. Um, these are the types of things that uh, a dedicated facility does. And I'll add one more thing. We're not sure that Townsend Bombing Range can even be used for the things that we don't. We don't have a, a land use agreement with them. We don't have an agreement with the Marine Corps. We don't have any guarantees that that can be used. Now, it's possible that they could be used, but that's going to take years to figure out. Well, thank you to, to all of you. It's an uh, impressive report. Uh, Mr. Quartz, thank you, Ms. Patrick, for the amazing work that you do. And uh, you, nobody's got a harder job uh, than you do, Mr. Uh, Starr. So thank you very much, Mr. Chairman. I appreciate the time. Thank you. Um, I, I'll go back to Ms. Secretary. I, I've just got a couple of additional questions, uh, both on the efficacy of the estimates that we have. But first, you just mentioned something. And I'm, I've been a little confused about this consolidation. I, can, I get it. Everything you just said makes sense to me. Can you speak to the soft skills training where I think the current strategy is the hard skills training is going to be in a consolidated manner. Uh, so you have this assault training and weapons training that uh, might be uh, met at Townsend potentially. But in this case, it would be on site at FASI. But the violation of the consolidation, we've already violated the consolidation theory, I would guess, unless there's something I'm missing here relative to soft skills training. Can you speak to why it's acceptable? The current model is going to be hard skills training in what location and soft skills, I guess, would be at the eight facilities that are available to you today. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Um, our soft skills training, much of which uh, at the moment, some of which is done at FSI, much of it which is done in conjunction with FSI, um, we do a lot of training right at the Arlington campus here. We also have soft skills training on engineering and computer security. Uh, we have soft skills training on counterintelligence and investigations, advanced type of training courses. Uh, in, in a perfect world, would I love to have everything co-located? Absolutely. That was the original scope before you got involved, right? Well, I think, honestly, sir, before I, I left as the director of diplomatic security in 2009, and my emphasis was on a hard skills training center, hard skills. Um, I spent nearly three and a half years up at the, a little more than three and a half years at the United Nations, and when I came back after Benghazi, I saw that the scope had generally been increased because I think people honestly wanted to look at, did it make sense to combine both soft and hard skills into the same center? In, in a perfect world, that's probably what you'd want to do. The cost of that um, was just too much to bear. And we are already located in Northern Virginia for our soft skills training. It is close to the Department of State. It's close to FSI already. We have the space and the facilities. Some of it is leased. Some of it is at FSI, which is owned. And really, the one thing that we can't do is the hard skills training. And that's why we decided, OK, we need to consolidate and concentrate on consolidating that. I, sir. In a perfect world, I'd love to have one place that I could do it all. But there are cost constraints. Um, we believe that Fort Pickett gives us the best answer for the hard skills training, and we'll continue to do the soft skills training in this immediate area. Do you, are you, were you a little surprised that the estimate came back that much different just by taking soft skills training out? It went from $900 million to $400 million and cut in half just, just by taking, I would think the hard skills training would be much more expensive from a capital planning perspective. Were you a little surprised with that differential? 
surprised perhaps a little, sir. I, the, the soft skills side of the original master plan contained many, many more buildings, actual buildings there that is. had to be built, and therefore also a greater uh, amount of land. And I think when you take those buildings that had to be built off of it for classroom spaces, things like that, um, it changed the, the dynamic considerably. Director Patrick, would you respond to a couple of things? I, I had a question going to the report. This may be a detailed uh, question, but I'd like to understand, uh, do you agree with the, I think, I don't know whether it's your estimate or whether GAO uh, did it as a percentage or whatever, but the, the 370 or 400 million people, or 400 people, sorry, 370 additional staff that would be needed to train. Um, do you agree with that? Uh, and if not, what, what would be required there? And, and how, how, in the GAO report, how would it be, how should it be amended to get the right number? That's question one. And question two, I'd like to come back and ask the question about um, Marine co-training and also Townsend. So if you don't mind, uh, talk about personnel quickly, if you will. I believe the number of personnel were State Department number and um, I think we must have stipulated that it was the same number or to be used for both facilities because. Um, was that a percentage of, uh, uh, was that done as a percentage of total cost or was that uh, built up from the bottom up in terms of, of uh, Mr. Courts, you may, you may need it, or I don't know who, who, who came up with that estimate. I don't believe that was a percentage. I believe that was a number that had actually been compiled by looking at the number of courses and the number of structures required. Um, can you speak then to uh, the Townsend uh, bombing range uh, as, as whether or not it, it gives 24-7, but it's 30 miles away, et cetera. Can you speak to the uh, potential uh, limitations that that might uh, bring? And also, could you train using that facility at the level that uh, would be minimally required? Well, the, the Townsend, Townsend bomb range is a very large uh, uh, part of land owned by the Marine Corps. And the, the, the part of the property that we were considering is about a 5,000 acre plot that is currently being used to do long range firearms training. Uh, we currently use that right now to do that type of training. Um, we're in the process of uh, uh, signing an MOU with the Marine Corps to use that property for continued training to benefit not only uh, Flexi students, but also um, the uh, Georgia Air National Guard or the Georgia National Guard. Have you been contacted by Deloitte yet? Uh, we did get a phone call. The CFO was contacted, and I think we have a date that they'll be visiting our site. Mr. Courts, have you met with uh, Deloitte yet? We've not. Okay. Or do you anticipate working with them? We've we've not gotten any notification or communication from them to date. And. Uh, Secretary, um, the, I think it's 12-15, December, December 15 is the due date for that report, is that right? Yes, sir. Do you have any update, uh, interim report from them um, on the progress of that uh, study? We have had several meetings with them already. We have the agreed upon scope. Uh, we are um, making sure that it hopefully meets everything that Congress wants on it uh, and it is going forward. That We know that they have uh, the staff on board already and are commencing uh, the survey. So specifically, if, if, if we all agree on what the scope is, and that scope requires marine coach, I, I keep coming back to this because it, I, I keep hearing the scope change over the last five years dramatically. Hard, hard soft together, then hard soft separate, 
and now uh, Marine co-training is a prerequisite. You know, from a perspective of trying to evaluate these moving numbers, I, I can. We, we talked with the GAO a few weeks ago about how hard it's been to, to estimate that. But is if that's a constraint that has to be met, and Fletzi can't meet it, then what's what's Deloitte been hired to do? I think a, a cost-benefit analysis is what we've been, an independent cost-benefit analysis as opposed to uh, what I think is a, a very thorough look that GAO has done and our own uh, requirements on it. But, but sir, I, I, you're coming back to the question of the Marines. The Marines are less a question about cost than they are about whether or not we can actually co-locate Well, that's what I'm saying. If you pre-qualify a site, and, they, and that site can't be supported by the Marines, then it's not a viable option. Is that correct? Well, that's pretty much what we've been saying all along, that we have concerns that, that the Fletzi and the site uh, Townsend Bombing Range are not viable for, for our training. But I keep coming back to they, they're doing that today in other locations, and I'm, I'm, I'm a little con I'm confused as to how they could be executing that today and say going forward they can't do that. We are currently borrowing space at Fort AP Hill uh, where we have our capstone exercises. We're doing a lot of our night training at AP Hill where we have Marine units come in and work with us. Um, we have to go down to Quantico and work with them on their site, and we use their long-range ranges there. Um, we're sort of making do with places as we can get space and as we can get time and rearranging uh, the ability to do these things. Uh, again, it goes to the question that uh, co-locating in one place gives us efficiencies that we believe will cut costs and allow us to increase the number of throughput for training. Uh, at, that we just currently don't have as we sort of hot bunk it from place to place. But those cost savings should show up in whatever cost benefit analysis finally is done in, yes, in, sir. in the analysis that GAO did. Um, Director, do you have any response to uh, the training? You, do you co-train with Marines now for any of the uh, other forces that you train? On occasion uh, from Kings Bay and um, we've had are there other training facilities inside Homeland Security where that training is, I think, what is it, Mletsi in L.A.? I, I may have that name wrong. We have a joint training center in L.A. at the L.A. ports where we train uh, maritime boat training. And um, there is an exercise that is being conducted there that involves State Department and the Marines from Camp Pendleton. Okay, thank you. I have one more question, but I'm going to defer to uh, the ranking member. Can, can let me focus a little bit on this Marine issue while we're on it. Uh, um, I, I, I know the Marines are good partners. They are in the Townsend range, but do you currently have um, significant ongoing training in tandem with the Marine Security Guard program that is run out of uh, Quantico? No, sir. Um, that, that's the issue, is that the Marines um, have all these different units, but the Marine Security Guard program, which was bulked up by a thousand additional Marines in the aftermath of the Accountability Review Board, is at Quantico. Um, and Secret Secretary Starr, you were talking about the fact that until you get this site, you are using other sites like AP Hill. AP Hill's 20 miles from Quantico. You use Quantico because the Marine Security Guard program is right there. Um, while you use other sites, my, my understanding is you're trying to use sites that are as close to that Marine Security Guard unit as you can. 
Yes, sir, that's what allows the Marines to participate with us. If it was too much further away, they just could not do the joint training with us. Am I right that before the State Department and GSA chose Fort Pickett ultimately, they looked at about 70 different sites prior to landing on Fort Pickett, is that correct? That is correct, sir. And it was the strong preference from the very first days of this search that, that the site chosen be one that would be proximate to DC because of the proximity to FSI, Maine State, and the Marine Security Guard program. Yes, sir. Um, in terms of the timing going forward, am, am I right that at FASI an EIS has been completed that would enable, uh, you don't have to do that in order to get into the construction side of things, is that correct? Correct, sir. All of the planning, all of the permits, including the environmental impact statements, have all been done. We were prepared to break ground. And then finally, a little bit about Townsend. I've not been to Brunswick, so I'm kind of operating at a deficit. I lived in Macon for a year, which I love, but I didn't go to Brunswick when, when I was there. But I want to make sure kind of I understand the, the scenario. So Fletzi's proximity to Brunswick, which is a major community, has led either by rule or just by courtesy to some curtailment of 24-hour operations just to try to fit in with the community. Is that, is that fair to say, uh, Director Patrick? Yes, there's no noise ordinance that prohibits us from training, but it's a good neighbor policy established by FLETC uh, and um, reasonable time, 10 o'clock p.m. is when we generally cease training exercises. So if, if the idea is that state has is to do nighttime operations that would involve, you know, simulated nighttime attacks or things, that could be done at Townsend, but would you have to um, do any construction of, you know, embassy-like buildings or infrastructure at Townsend to do that? I, I gather that's part of the FASI hard plan that has been put together to have buildings that could be used for these 24-hour operations. Would you need to do construction at Townsend if you were gonna have those kind of nighttime explosive operations there? What we would need to do would revisit their expectations because our, our our plan and our proposal and what we presented to OMB in 2013 was the master plan. Yeah. And, and so in terms of what needs to be where would have to be reassessed because we, at the time we did not know about the capstone exercise. Mm -hmm. That was something we learned uh, within the last year. And so again, we would have to go back and find out from our customer exactly what their needs are and how, where they would be best fitted. Um, so. Thank you, and, and thank you to all the witnesses for your testimony today. Thanks, Mr. Chair. Thank you. I, I just have one last, uh, moving off the specific um, uh, challenge we have right now of, of deciding uh, what's best for the, the objectives we have. I want to reach into a, a little bigger uh, issue that affects this analysis. I think you just said, Director Patrick, that you still don't have all the requirements necessary for a response to a an, what I would call in the business world an RFP, request for proposal. To, sitting here today, you don't have that, is that correct? Partially because, our, the answer is no, but it's because um, the decision, once it was made by the administration, we didn't require any additional information. Okay, um, that's fair. I'd, I'd like to talk about, though, um, the flow of information. We, I've already had my say about scope, and I think I, I think we all agree with that. We've somewhat inherited the changing nature of the scope. A lot of this may have been eliminated. A, a lot of time has been spent making estimates, and we're spending a lot of money with Alloy, and I applaud that, by the way. But um, 
I'd like to put in the record, um, and I think you've seen this, uh, Mr. Secretary, uh, it's a letter from uh, Chairman Royce in the, in the House Foreign Affairs Committee, wrote a letter yesterday to Secretary Kerry, um, noted that in 2014, State Department sought to prevent FLETC personnel from communicating with Congress. And I'd like to give you a chance for the record to respond to that. Are you aware of that? Um, have you seen that? I just received a copy of that letter right before I came here. I didn't see that sentence in there, sir, but we have never tried to, to prevent Fletzi from communicating with either OMB or Congress. Good. I, I think we've, we've, had, we've been up here a lot, uh, and we've had a lot of communications, Good. and quite frankly, no, the State Department has never tried to, to keep Fletzi from talking. And then there's one other uh, issue I think I just want to clear up for the record because I think going forward, this is not the last time we'll spend uh, large money in support of State Department efforts. Um, but I think uh, Deputy Secretary Heather Higginbotham on uh, March, I think, of last year in an email expressed annoyance with their contact with the Appropriations Committee. She wrote to Resource Management uh, OMB Director Steve Koziak, I quote, the approach staffer said that DHS has been blanketing the Hill with DH, DHS's position that DS, Diplomatic Security, should be utilizing Fletzi. I'm planning to call DH Deputy Director uh, Ali Majorcas on this. It's clearly out of bounds, end of quote. Um, I know you can't take these out of context, and it's not your quote, but uh, I want to just be sure for the record that uh, that's not indicative of the attitude that we have there. I've, I've met with the secretary. I, I have a lot of respect for her. Um, this sounds out of character to me, but I just want to make sure going forward that we have, um, that this is not representative. Difficult for me to, to comment on, Senator, but I can tell you that I think, I know Heather Higginbottom, and I think the only thing she would ever ask for is a fair and level playing field. Um, I don't, for, you know, there, there was no attempt to muzzle anybody. I think that Heather probably just wants to make sure that everybody's getting all the same information at the same time. Director, did anybody in DHS ever give you instruction to not talk to the Hill? No, okay. uh, no Thank one you. gave me any Thank you. not to. Uh, and one last question, uh, Mr. Secretary, I know that we put this, uh, the construction on halt at, uh, um, at Fort Pickett. Um, and I think there's a penalty. What's the penalty per day that we're paying on that? Do you know? Uh, current, if we can restart uh, by uh, January or February, it's the, the penalties will be less than 1% of the cost of the contract. And what uh, is? 1% of the overall cost of the project, uh, less than $3 million. But if it continues, if, if we move this further on, those costs are going to rise. It's about $10,000 a day, isn't it? I'm uh, sorry, I just don't know the daily cost, yeah. sir, but the estimate, the estimate through January or February is about $3 million. Okay. Well, very good. I, uh, I want to thank the witnesses uh, and the ranking member. I, I think you can see from the questioning today uh, the objectivity here. We're all trying to get to the right answer, whatever our responsibility is. And I think we all agree that uh, the overriding requirement here is to get our people trained to make them as safe as we possibly can and to use our assets as best we can. And that's my, um, my only ask as we go forward looking at this Deloitte study is that we look at this. There are some prohibitive costs, by the way. I mean, you just said, uh, Mr. Secretary, we'd love to have hard and soft together. It's prohibited from a cost standpoint. Therefore, we can't do it. We'll adapt. Um, there's a cost with the Marines, by the way, you know, in terms of their travel and so forth. So 
it, it really is a matter of looking at this thing objectively uh, with those two constraints, or the, with the emission statement of training our people and the constraint of, of making sure we spend every dime appropriately. With that, I thank our witnesses again for your career of service and for your testimony today. With that, we stand adjourned. Thank you.